welcome to Zenith Awaits. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have a very special episode introducing Ask Mother. During this episode, Mother will be addressing a select number of questions from the community. Now let's open our minds and embrace the wisdom. So let's begin with question one. How How do do I I set set boundaries boundaries properly? Your vocab word of the day is assertive. The reason so many people have such a hard time with boundaries is that we have this like plague of the passive slash aggressive slash passive aggressive communication pendulum syndrome and hardly anyone understands how to be assertive. So to be aggressive in your communication means to use communication to try to act upon others, to try to make people feel or do what you want them to. You want to be the outside force that controls others. To be passive is to be acted upon. You hardly ever meet truly passive people because everyone has a will of their own, even if it's buried way deep down and unknown to them. But to be passive-aggressive in your communication is unfortunately very common, and the purpose of it is to still try to control people, but to do it without looking like you're trying to control people. I think the best example to illustrate this is in the way most people can describe being parented. This is where we all get it from. So, like, mom says, can you please put your dishes in the sink? And you're a kid, and you hear a question. Because the way that mom phrased it was pretty passive. So you're like, oh, this is optional? I don't think I will then. So you don't put your dishes in the sink, and then mom flips to either... Fine, I guess I'll do it myself, which is passive-aggressive. She's trying to make you feel bad to control your behavior through guilt without being outright mean. Or she flips to, I told you to put your dishes in the sink, and then she, like, rages at you. And the point of that is to prove that she's willing to use force to make you do it. And this is a tame kind of funny example, but sadly, it's not always funny. People can get really aggressive. Um, This is what most of us in this day and age are used to. This is our example of setting boundaries. Mom is trying to set a boundary to say that she's not willing to be responsible for cleaning up after you, and that if you choose not to clean up after yourself, there will be consequences. So, learning to set boundaries means unlearning this passive-aggressive flip-flop 
And that starts with knowing it exists and then watching yourself for it. Noticing all the ways that you try to control people because someone tried to control you. And noticing how great you are at hiding it from yourself. You have to face it. Then you have to learn to identify the real wants and needs that are under your attempts to control people. What exactly is it that you want or don't want that person to do and why? And that's when you learn to communicate assertively. That means to assert yourself. When you know yourself, you've faced the discomfort and the urge to control, you've looked at the want or need that's underneath it, you've understood the reason why you have that want or need, and you've thought about what's going to happen if the person chooses not to negotiate or compromise. You communicate that, just that, very simply and directly. So in the, in the mom example, that would sound like, hey, your dishes are still on the table. You know, I feel really angry when you don't clean up after yourself. It's like you don't value my time or my energy. I've decided I'm not willing to clean up after your dishes anymore. And if you continue to leave your dishes out, I'm going to wash them so that I can use them. But I'm going to stop cooking for you so there will be less dishes. Because I just don't have the time and energy to do both. So there's no judgment about what kind of person you are. There's no accusation. There's no you always or you never. There's just a description of your thoughts and feelings. Your a description of the reflection that you've made on yourself. Um, there's a boundary. I'm not willing to do this. And there's a clear picture of how you plan on enforcing it, what the consequence will be if that boundary is crossed again. And you've already done the emotional labor, you've already done the reflection, and now you're just communicating that to the other person. That is how you set boundaries assertively. Now let's move on to question two. How does one best control control their thoughts? Is there sense in control? There's no such thing as control. I'm sorry. Control is an illusion. The urge to control thoughts is just a symptom of avoidance. The real urge is to avoid the discomfort that the thoughts cause. And the discomfort comes from the belief that the thoughts we think must be very true and important and real. And that's just the nature of the thinking organ or consciousness processing organ, which is the brain. The big, highly advanced human brain's main job is to take in sensory input and 
tell stories about it. That's how we survived as a species without armor or claws or sharp teeth. (laughs) Thoughts are just your brain doing brain stuff. I think I got that from either Stephen Hayes or Russ Harris. But the point is, trying to control thoughts is a game you will never win. The goal, instead, is two things. One, to learn to take a point of view that is slightly removed from your thoughts. To become or really to come to understand that you already are the one observing the thoughts. And two, to build up your ability and your willingness to tolerate discomfort so that you don't feel the urge to avoid your own thoughts so much. So you can have an uncomfortable thought or lots of them and be able to go, oh, wow, look at that. That's a really painful thought I'm noticing there. That hurts. Let's look inside that pain. What's in there? And explore the discomfort with curiosity and compassion rather than just getting all wrapped up in the thought and the pain and then the thoughts about the pain and on and on. No controlling thoughts. Don't even try. On to question three. How to stay brave in the face of adversity and doubt. I'm going to be a word nerd on this one. What does it mean to be brave? I think maybe this word is overused. Um, It comes from the same origin as brash and brazen, which mean kind of like stupidly bold. I feel like there's a connotation of foolishness or naivete involved with brave. Like, a child is brave when they go to the dentist or something. But I think what we really want is courage. And courage in English is actually from courage in French, which comes from cor in Latin, which means heart. But heart as in the center. So to have courage is to have a solid, steady center. And when you feel courageous, it's because there is this strong, sturdy center in you that knows that whatever it is that's scaring you or threatening you or upsetting you, it's temporary. Like, in the grand scheme of things, it is temporary. 
the center will not be moved or destroyed by it. The adversity will come and go, and the center will still be the center. So you have to find that center, and you do that by, guess what? Practicing stillness, being still, and listening to the silence. Because the silence in between your thoughts is like the path to your center. You follow these breadcrumbs one tiny moment at a time until you find the center, which is the origin of the silence. And the closer you get to the center, the less you identify with the fears and doubts. They don't go away, and you aren't trying to make them go away in order to be courageous. You just take the point of view of the center, and from there, you can watch the adversity come and go without clinging to it. And that's the heart of courage. To conclude, question four. How, How can, can I, I become, become one with my darkness slash shadow self? Well, step one you have to find your shadow self. Um, it's likely that you think you know all about it because you can describe all of your flaws in detail, but this isn't actually an intellectual pursuit. You can't think yourself into integration because the shadow self does not dwell in the linguistic, rational mind. We're talking about the id, the subconscious or unconscious. That's why it's the shadow, right? Because it's not illuminated by our ego consciousness. So whenever you think you've gotten a good look at it, as soon as you start describing it with words and then you make judgments and you start trying to fix it, you're actually moving backwards. You're moving further away from integration. To find the shadow self, you need to develop your ability to observe, to be fully present. I know everyone is probably sick of hearing me harp on it, but oh well, I'm never gonna stop. This is what mindfulness and meditation are for. You're not going to get around it. If you truly want to integrate your shadow, you are going to have to practice. Do push-ups, you know? To make those awareness and attention muscles strong and to divert power away from the jibber-jabber monkey mind that wants to explain and describe and judge everything. 
when your ability to be present and still and aware increases, the shadow naturally becomes more and more integrated as a result. You're not exactly trying to integrate it. You're just radiating your inner light in a way that allows you to really see. So you're, think of it as inviting the shadow in for tea, not chasing after it with a pitchfork. Thank you once again for joining us. And to those who provided questions for today's episode. You are amazing. Through whatever you may encounter in life, remember this. And never forget to enjoy the fight.